when I was always so destroyed by my stutter, I could never find the flow. Yeah. I find it on the soccer field when like we had to work out. I could find that I could just push myself, but I couldn't find the flow. I found flow in surfing because it was it was it was finding a line in the midst of chaos. Mm. You have to find that line in the midst of chaos in order to find your flow. Everyone you meet every single day is fighting a battle you may know nothing about. We're all in the process of overcoming. I'm Justin Wren, and my story has been heard by millions of people through my book, my TED Talk, podcast interviews, TV shows, professional fighting, and my foundation, Fight for the Forgotten. I believe we are all overcomers if we choose to overcome. We all have the option. I've been given the opportunity to overcome childhood trauma, sexual abuse, immense bullying, depression, suicidal ideation, substance use disorder, and I am a two-time suicide survivor. We are here to have conversations with some of the greatest minds of our time. Get ready to be inspired and to receive the tools and game plan to win this fight called life. Thank you for being here, for showing up for yourself. You, me, we have overcome 100% of our darkest days. I'm not done yet, and neither are you. This is your invitation to overcome. Rick Hansen, thank you so much for being here, my man. Thanks for having me. Super yeah. excited. Yeah, I am too. Uh, we have a little bit of a similarity in our story. Uh, both grew up with like a speech impediment or, mm -hmm. or stutter. And you found surfing, which, well, I guess uh, I didn't tell you this, but real quick, we, we just got back from our first trip to Hawaii with oh. our two girls. We were talking about your three girls. Yeah. Which and, island? Uh, Oahu. Okay. And All so right. we went up to Turtle Bay and sure. we went surfing. And do you remember the the surf instructor's name, O'Brien? Um, Jamie. Jamie O'Brien. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's legit. So they set us up, and it was it was awesome. And Sydney, her oldest daughter, is mostly a musician, yeah. an artist, and she's very creative. Mm -hmm. But we found her sport. She's never really been particularly athletic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So and, it was really great. And she got it. She, she got, got it. it. Really? She was better than me. Really? Uh, and I am a pro athlete, and so she was, she was better than me. And yeah. Gigi, Amy's daughter, is and she's great at gymnastics. Mm -hmm. We just went to her first cheerleading game last night, or football game where she mm -hmm. was cheerleading. Yeah. And Gigi's always flipping, bending, all this stuff. She's yep. the athlete. Yep. Um, but Sydney crushed it. Really? I mean, uh, the instructors were so excited for her because she was getting up basically every time. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And she Longboard, was, I assume? Like, um, whatever boards they probably, have, the, prob yeah, the probably like Nino, yeah, probably, yeah, Sponge Nino, yeah, sure. I've been surfing twice, twice, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> twice, so one more time than her, and she was better than me, yeah, that's rad. So it was awesome. She would write it, like, get up right away, and then she would go the furthest of anybody out there learning, mm. like, she would write it in almost to the beach, and that's it was rad. like, it was crazy, yeah. So surfing changed your life, yeah, yeah, I'd love to hear about that, but really, before that. What were the difficulties with your speech and what were the effects of that in life or like with relationships or sure. how you felt inside or how you related to others? Yeah. I mean, it was, um, it was the only lens I looked through really because it was such a big deal. I mean, it was just everything, every single word I tried to say was a struggle. Every word, mm. you know, from as long as, you know, I can think back. Uh, like I can remember the first time I stuttered was in kindergarten mm. or the first time I realized I had a stutter. It was in kindergarten and it was during, you know, share time, you know, and, uh, I brought a, a family photograph from a vacation. I was excited to share and got up in front and, you know, it's like, I can see it like I was just there. 
Um, and uh, I started to share and I, I knew what I wanted to say, but I couldn't get the words out. They were just stuck mm. and my tongue was tight. And I started to, you know, do the, you know, like the, almost like the gurgle because I couldn't get the word out. And then I saw the students start to snicker and start to laugh. Mm. And then I saw my teacher start to laugh. I'm like, what's wrong with me? You know, and it was that moment that I realized I, I, I've got something that no one else does. And I'm, I'm weird, you know. And uh, I think from that moment, it settled in. Um, I let it settle in my mind that um, I had an issue, like a problem. Mm. And uh, I did not know how to, how to fix it. So silence was a big deal for me. Um, listening really became a skill set mm. that I use to this day and I'm super thankful for. Um, but all the way through elementary school and junior high and high school, um, I would, you know, I would really try to hide in the shadows of life because I was so embarrassed with my, with my stutter because it was so bad and it was always bad. It's not like it um, stopped for a certain time and then started again all through, you know, those formative years of your life where what your peers think of you is so important and so mm -hmm. shapes who you think you are. Um, and so um, it, it, it really impacted me all the time. And so I didn't want to talk because I knew that, you know, maybe someone would look at me and go, oh, that's a normal dude. But I knew as soon as I opened my mouth, they'd go, who, what's, you're weird, dude. So I really tried to hide it by just not talking. I mean, even at, um, I don't know, like at school, how they do the read arounds, you know, like mm. it, in a class, like the teacher's bored and doesn't have a good lesson plan. So he just has the students read. Yeah. Like popcorn seller just goes to the person next to you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like the last one. Um, actually both were horrifying for me because yeah, I'm like, it was like it. Russian roulette, you know? And, uh, and if it was around the room, I would just watch, you know, until the next one read and the next one and count like how many would go until me and hoping the class would end before, you know, my time would come. Um, and often my time would come and I would read. It was just so um, mind altering mm. for me because it was so like, man, I just, I, I'm, I have a problem. I'm weird. I'm not like anyone. Could you get through it? Or? Yeah, I forced myself, you know, mm -hmm. but, but the kids would snicker and they would laugh and it would, but I realized that's just a part of, of my game. You know, if, if I talk, they're going to laugh and I just got to, got to power through. Sometimes I talk to my teachers and say, Hey, is it cool if I just, if you're reading out loud with the class that I stay after class and just read out loud or to you, cause I'm just so embarrassed. And some would let me and some would say, no, you need to work it through. And I remember one time in eighth grade, Great lady, um, I think her her name was Mrs. Stewart, just a staunch kind of fun eighth grade English teacher, kind of like in your face, but always wanted to push you. Um, and we had a assignment where we had to memorize a poem, any poem we wanted to, and then recite it in front of the whole class. Of course, my worst nightmare. And so, you know, you've got the, the buildup to it. You've got mm, the rehearsal. Anxiety, yeah, yeah. Your mind is just spinning out of control. Dreading it. Totally. And I, and I asked her if I could, you know, um, do it off the side. And she says, no, you need to do it in front of the class. Not like in a rude way, right. but like you need to push through this, you know? And I was so thankful that I did. And so thankful that she pushed me because I could, um, I started to see that when I memorize things, 
um, and I knew what was coming, mm. and I was able to work out how to say the word before, I could sometimes get through it with not as much of a struggle. Um, so it was, yeah, so it impacted everything. Yeah. Every, everything I looked at, everything I, th everything I thought I was, every, every bit of who I am was, was wrapped up in that, you know, that stutter. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder now, so mine, I had a speech therapist from like kindergarten to second grade mm. heavily and then, but it went through sixth grade. And then, I mean, I've been with Amy now close to two years and there's only been two or three times it's really kind of come back and it's when I'm tired or when I'm nervous. Yep. And I don't even know if you've really picked up on it, mm -hmm. but I do, right? And I know it's coming and, and, mm -hmm. and it starts to like fall apart a little. So then I'll either really stop yep. or I'll just really like push through and say it kind of slower and louder. Yeah. Um, but did you ever, has anyone ever told you, or have you ever looked into what, what causes um, or what's going on in the brain or anything like that? I don't know. Yes, there was, um, there's been some research done and the one that I like the most, sure. you know, it says that those who stutter are really smart. There you go. Because there we <laughs> so go. That's, that's the research <laughs> I clung to. Yeah, for sure. Um, because they say your mind is moving so fast mm. ahead of what you're trying to say that your words don't know how to catch up to your thoughts. Mm. And, uh, you know, and as I, you know, I don't know if that's the reason why, but I, it made a lot of sense to me because I could see the words way out here in front of me, just almost like a scroll, but I couldn't get them out. Um, and I knew what I wanted to say. I could form the thought real quick, real fast. I could synthesize things, but I couldn't say what I heard in my mind and saw, you know, in my mind. Um, so I, you know, I'm not sure. Sometimes it's, it's trauma, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. it's, um, did you, did you experience a lot of trauma growing up? No, that's, that's a thing. My, um, you know, my, uh, like my parents still married, um, almost 60 years, I think loving home, faith filled home super supportive, um, you know, so that, no, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't that, I don't think. Yeah. Cause you know, the home was, home was great and super supportive. Yeah. I had a little bit of a different, I mean, I had loving parents, but I, I experienced bullying really bad mm. growing up. Oh like, yeah, so like, did I. Like yeah. brutal. And so I think a lot of that came into play, but I just would say maybe mine was from trauma and you're really smart. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm. I'm interested. So whenever it comes to bullying, October actually is like technically bullying prevention month. Mm. I just got a final draft of, I'm doing a video and oh, cool. I think I'll be on the cover of Black Belt Magazine oh, in October nice. and uh, in a video promoting bullying prevention month, mm. inviting people to share their stories, how they overcame it. Um, and what, how did you overcome not just the speech, uh, but also bullying or, or do you remember a bullying moment that really, really impacted your life? Oh, so many. Yeah. Um, what's one that stands out? Um, in high school after, after school was over, my mom would come in, um, carpool with other moms and I would wait, um, outside of the school lot with, um, I think maybe three or four of our friends who would, who would ride home with us who lived in the neighborhood, girls and guys. Um, and a bunch of us were there and, this one neighbor friend of mine um, was in the carpool and he would just heckle the shit out of me. Mm. Is that okay if I swear? Yeah, for okay. sure. Yeah. Say, okay. what you want. Say what you want. He man. would heckle the shit out of me yeah. and just nasty. He would never stop and he would do it in front of people. He did it all the time. I mean, there were probably five or six guys that I 
remember who I went through school with all those years that were just in my shadow all the time. And when they could, they would rib. Um, and the girls would laugh and he would laugh and I would, I would just be shattered because I'd be sitting there. You know, he was just so like, he was, he, he didn't give a rat's ass about how I felt. He wanted to make sure he looked good, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I experienced that all the way through, you know, my life from even the teachers who laughed at me, they weren't bullying, but they were laughing at a struggle of mine, you know, of, of a battle. Um, oh, I changed that word, by the way, after listening to Jared's talk, remember, like you talked about the word struggle. Oh yeah. And that's more of like the victim mentality. Listen to this podcast. Wow. Hey, thanks man. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, It was really, really cool. Um, actually we lived by Jared's brother, like in Terrytown. Yeah. Um, the so, doctor, or I guess yeah, both yeah, of his brothers yeah. are doctors, but yeah. I just saw him. Uh, I got in a car accident, so oh. uh, I'm going to see him again soon. Oh, you are? Yeah. yeah. I've gotten a few MRIs and stuff like that. But. He's done a surgery on my arm, too. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. I, mean, I blew my bicep, and yeah. he, he put it he back put together. back together? Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, he yeah. seems like he's the best. He's awesome. Yeah, That's he's great. great. So, well, no, so you've reframed that word. Yeah, From I have. From what to what? How, um, how do you do it? Battle. Battle. Because um, I've said struggle a lot of my life, but I've learned later in life that um, we can choose to be certain things and we can choose to transform certain aspects of our life if, if we put our minds to it. Mm. Um, and struggle, I would always say, or people would always say, man, I'm struggling with this or I'm struggling with that. And, and when he said, you know, struggling is, a, is more of a victim mentality, like, oh, this happened to me and woe is me. You know, mm. I think a lot of my youth, I was I was like, this is just my lot in life. I just got to deal with it, you know. But yeah. then later, I just really learned to appreciate the battle, you yeah. know. And, and stutter, the stutter had, had made me kind of a quiet internal fighter. I mean, I was a soccer player. I was a runner. I was a triathlete, you know. So physically, I would, I knew physically with endurance, I could control how far I could push myself. Nothing limited me but me. Yeah. Where my stutter, I felt, controlled me. Yeah. And so I would work out hard, I'd train hard, I'd race hard, play, you know, I got good physically in a lot of things because that's something that I could control. Um, and so I, that, that was my out. That was the way I felt like, okay, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I can hang out with the cool kids. I don't have to talk, but I can play soccer. Mm. I can be a triathlete. I can run. I can, you know, I did some wrestling, not, nice. not like you, but, uh, my dad was all state, uh, Nice. In Minnesota. Minnesota? Oh, wow. Mm, yeah, yeah. And he was, a, he was an absolute he was a baller. stud. Yeah, he yeah. was a baller. So, yeah, I always knew I was in for a match when I was going uh, against a guy from Minnesota. Yeah, they were. Like you said, the uh, one match that he lost to, it was this, because uh, his weight class was 175. And at that point, anything over, like 125, heavyweight? was heavyweight. Mm. And he wrestled this big farm boy, like 300 pounds. Wow. Huge, just massive. And he said at one time he did, I think he did a, um, like my dad went in for a double leg and he pancaked mm. and just plopped on my dad and then, you know, knocked the wind out, rolled him over. Um, and my dad was trying to, to bridge out. Um, but he was just suffocating in his Under, fat. Yeah. yeah. Fat. And oh, so, and so like he had to bite, you know, bite him. Like to bite get him to get him off. Yeah, yeah, totally. So he could breathe. Yeah, totally. So, <laughs> well, um, it's, yeah. It's technically illegal, but, but, it, but, it, but it works. <laughs> he was, just, yeah, he was, ruthless. he did yeah. what he had to do. This podcast is brought to you by Onnit.com. Onnit.com slash overcome. Use the code overcome to save yourself 10% on, I'm holding in my hands, the Alpha Brain Focus Shot. 
It's in this cool container. Amy's got the website pulled up for I you do. guys watching on YouTube. Did you drink your focus shot this morning? Absolutely. I, th- I, I thought you did. I did too. Yeah. How do you like it? Oh my God. I feel so good. I always feel Because it's early right now energy. on a Monday. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. This is this is one of the earliest podcasts we've done. Well, this is early for you. <laughs> early for you. <laughs> well, to, to go on the show. Yeah, for sure. And it promotes focus and energy, supports a positive mood state helps manage mental stress and for me i truly feel like it helps me get in the flow state faster stay there longer whether i'm going into sparring i had one before i went to sparring yesterday and i had a four and a half hour training session because they were stacked so i went from 12 to 130 and then straight over to the gym from 2 to 430 440 came home tired last night mm-hmm. but i was focused the entire time i feel like it's very reliable about yeah. how I'm going to feel. The more I've used it, the more doing this show, really, the more I'm able to know that when I drink it, I'm going to be on point. My brain's going to be functioning really well. I feel generally good. And that's been so nice to be able to know that it is not going to suddenly make me jittery or suddenly make me feel nauseous or whatever it is. Yeah, well, that, that for me is important because some of the products with caffeine which just has some caffeine but it's like plant-based and it's healthy and it's a low dose it's not jittery bad it's not jittery (laughs) at all and sometimes i'll have you know one of those energy drinks or something and then i'm over caffeinated over stimulated and then i feel like i can't think as good that's not good because it's it's bothering me yeah and all the alpha brain line is super reliable the capsules my favorites the one of my favorites are the instant then the black label and my all-time favorite is what we're talking about now the alpha brain focus shots they're incredibly good tasting the tropical flavor they also have peach i believe but mine's the tropical because it's passion fruit and that's it delivers consistently fruit. and sometimes i'll take one and i'll split it between two smoothies when i make it for us in the morning i'll just throw a little bit in each mm-hmm. and just just adds a little something to like our protein powder and the fruit and whatever else we've got in there yeah and thank you so much on it for supporting me my comeback to fighting Uh, Fight for the Forgotten, and this podcast. They make it possible. So please support our sponsors, who honestly, I think, have the best supplement line in the world. And our favorite products, Alpha Brain or Total Human, get the best in one packet uh, of morning support and a night support. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here with Overcome with Justin Wren and Onnit.com. Be sure to use that code. Mm -hmm. Use the code Overcome. Save yourself some money. No, I, I actually told Amy a story, and I, I won't say I won't give too many details. But there was a a big coach, big big coach that used to be a really great wrestler, mm. um, but he was probably well over six six, and um, nice. but he was walking around at probably six hundred pounds um, wow. uh, while coaching, and he would always use me because it was the big heavyweight. Anytime he was like instructing something, it was it was rare we saw each other and things like that. But every now and then I would. And he would show a big throw. I'm being flung by a guy 600 pounds, um, at least over 500. And but he's so big, yeah, so big. And I would get stuck underneath. And then he would he would try to be polite and get 
get off of me with like the majority of his weight, but he's, he's, he's getting off of me with a skeleton, right? Like mm. his ribs, Yeah. but his fat's still there. And so either from his armpit or his side or uh, bicep, whatever it is, would just go over my face yeah. even while he's talking. And I'm yeah. like trying to literally push over and breathe. But yeah. the, the, anyways, it was, it was, a. Uh, it was a little bit traumatizing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine because this wasn't a match. It, yeah. uh, it was. I had to be there for being his training partner. Yeah. But it was, it was something else. But the sport of wrestling did a lot for me. And what you're saying, even in reframing that word from struggle to battle, yeah. I like that. I would, I would like to either borrow that or adopt that because you grow from battles. You totally. get better from battles. You win in battles. And no, yeah, nobody says I'm going to win the struggle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, no one yeah, sounds exactly. weird. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to win this battle. And even in those battles that you lose, you learn from and you grow from and you get better from. Yeah. So I'm I'm using that, man. Thank you. <laughs> Have at it. I Have really it. appreciate it. Thank yeah, you for that. Of course. Um, I would really like to reframe that because that was a very powerful moment when Jared told me that was struggle. And, you know, part of this podcast is like, really, how do we... How do we win this fight called yep. life? Totally. And how totally. do we overcome um, life's greatest struggles, battles? Yep. yep. Yeah. And that's the thing, though, that I'm still I'm super thankful for my stutter mm. because it really ingrained in me um, uh, a mindset of I can choose to stay this way or I can choose to try to move forward, mm. and it's my choice at the end of the day because um, you know when you stutter, you like you keep a lot inside, you think yeah. a lot, you yeah. really you know, um, chew things over in your head and your thoughts, because if you speak, it's going to be garbly gook, mm -hmm. you know? And so, um, have you had any, uh, moments as an adult, you, you just triggered a memory of mine. I was just off the ultimate fighter. And when I fought at American Airlines center, like some of the Dallas Mavericks came and I got to meet them. And I also grew up with a dad that was a sports, uh, photographer mm -hmm. for him. And so they recognized me. I also got to tell them when I was a kid, I was around all y'all and I got invited. I don't, I don't think I've ever told you about the Jason Kidd celebrity poker tournament, Amy. Maybe. Well, I was invited to it and there's all these guys, Dirk Nowitzki, Mark Cuban. Mm. Um, there's uh, the football player that was one of the best of all times, Herschel Walker. Oh, yeah. Stud. Um, yeah, stud, who was doing MMA. Yeah. Uh, there was Jason Terry. Anyways, a bunch, of, a bunch of great guys. I could go on and on about who was there. But I get invited, and I get excited, and I go. Um, but I'm like 22, 23 mm. years old. And I go to this event. Still with the stutter? Uh, well, it hadn't come out really that much. Mm. Um, once I found wrestling, like everything changed and it would come out sometimes, but something, something switched and changed to where I had more control over it. Whenever I got past middle school where like the, the mm. bullying was really bad yep. and in middle school I was quiet a lot because mm. I was being so bullied. Yeah. And, um, and I guess I had tools, techniques, like to, to breathe, think about it, like think about the five senses, like just mm. different stuff yeah. that, that would help. And I sit down and I start playing. But right when I got there, people are valeting their Rolls Royces or, or, yeah, yeah, whatever Ferraris it is. Yeah, in, for yeah. sure. Uh, and I drove up in like a, I think it was a Hyundai Sonata uh, that was like pe <laughs> paint peeling off of it because fighters don't yeah, get paid sexy, the totally, same. Yeah. And I just didn't feel adequate or on mm. their level. I felt less than. Mm. 
And I mean, I even think of the way I, I was dressed compared to what, the way they were dressed and what they were wearing on their hands and wrists and necks. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like I don't, I don't belong here. What am I doing? I went all alone. All I got was, you know, you know, go to events. A lot of times you get a plus one, but this one, like this is your invite. You get to come. Hmm. And so I go and whenever there's like all these people taking pictures, uh, uh on this like kind of a little bit of a red carpet. And I kind of go up there, but the photographers don't really know who I am. And so mm-hmm. I don't really get asked to take a photo and I'm fine with that. But I go in and everybody knows each other. No one really knows me that much. And then you're finding where you're going to sit and all this stuff. And I had one interaction with a player that just, it, it, uh, I said, hi. And then he was like, hey, but didn't seem like really uh, wanted to engage. Yeah. And not that he shut me down, but but kind of he did. Sure. And so I I'll instantly, um, I tried to say something else. And when I did, the stutter came back uh-huh. out. And I, I kept trying, kept trying, and it just hit, hit, hit mm-hmm. like three times. And then it was kind of like I couldn't get it out. I felt embarrassed. And then I've instead of saying what I was going to say, I go, where's the bathroom? You yeah, know? totally. And I go to the bathroom. And when I'm in the bathroom, I felt so much shame. Like I don't, I don't belong mm-hmm. in insecurity. That I remember I called um, a friend. I called Josh Copeland and uh, I call him and I say, hey, man, I'm at this thing. And like, I think I just got to leave. I think I need to get in the car. I'm like struggling to even get out my words. I feel like I'm going to cry. Mm. I'm like a professional mm. fighter. Um, it's at hard the though, level. man. Yeah, yeah, it's a trigger. I'm thinking I'm going to leave there. Yeah. And um, and he kind of talked me down. I think I might have even called my mom. And I, I, I go back out, sit down, and, and I waited so long that, like, poker was getting started. Mm. And so then I could just go down and play. And something about competition for me or sports yeah. for, for me and you, we, yeah. we get that. Like, then I can get in the zone and focus. Totally. And I yeah. liked poker. So I ended up getting, like, third in the tournament, mm. and uh, we get to donate to a charity of our, our, co- our choice or whatever. And, um, and it was great. I got to beat Herschel Walker nice. and I got to beat Jason nice. Terry out, like put those guys out. And yeah. um, I think Jason Kidd as well. And uh, we were at the final, th- I was in the final three, but man, I almost just left there and didn't yeah. have that good experience. Oh yeah, Didn't get to talk with those guys around the table and chop it up with them. Um, but I just got in the flow of that. And then all of a sudden I was confident to speak again. Yeah. It's that, you know, um, that shame and insecurity that you talked about. So it was so resident in me mm. so often, you know, in situations like that. I mean, I wasn't in space like that, but still like when you're with your peers and you want to be a part of it, you know, and you want to say something, okay, I know I can say something here because yeah. I know this thing, but then I'm like, but if I, if I, if I try, I'm going to stutter and they're going to laugh. But maybe if I use this other word in front of this word, I can say the thing I want to say. Mm. And it was such a, you know, mind screw all the time. So I would just, you know, kind of sit there and, and feel like uh, I'm not, I'm not good enough, you know? And, and even as an adult, I mean, I'm, I'm 51 years old and I still have that imposter syndrome that creeps mm. in and, you know, shadows on your back, you know, like what, what do you, who you're, you're really not anything important. And soon they're going to find out who you really are, you know? And, and, and you just have to have to fight that's why I so love the shifting of the struggle to battle mm. because like, no, I, I get a choice to, you know, to think differently and be someone. Mm. It's my, it's, it's my choice. Um, and I remember, you know, coming home from school as a kid, so many nights just in tears, you mm. know, like mom and dad, is this ever going to go away? You know, and, and 
again, our, um, I was in a faith home. And so I'd pray. I'd say, God, are you going to ever heal me? Are, are, why'd you give this to me? It was just so like, why and when and how come? And it was just this total, just, you know, breakdown inside all the time. Um, and my parents are super supportive that, you know, and now as I'm a parent, I know what it's like to like, when your kid is hurting and you can't have them be unhurt, that's so hard, mm. you know, and my parents are always so supportive and loving and, but they couldn't do anything about it, you know? Yeah. It was on and me. It was hard. And man, those moments, whenever you're young, you believe what people say about you. Totally. These people in your shadows, um, you, I, I mean, I get it because in those moments there's, there's self-pity, there's the... Why me's? Yep. There's the um, victim mentality that sets in, and it's super powerful. I mean, it's yeah. really if you let it go, it's powerful. Yeah, I think you could be a uh, an actual prison. You mm-hmm. know, like, oh, totally. Uh, at least with like limiting beliefs, I'm not good enough. I'll mm-hmm. never be good enough. All these different things. So, where did the shift start to happen? Where you thought, oh, I am good enough, or I I can do this, or um, you know, having these little victories. I I remember listening to your your TED talk, mm, and, and I got a book about it and everything else, and. Um, You've learned so much about leadership through surfing, but honestly, it felt like you had, you first had to lead yourself totally. or, or the waves led you. And mm. then, and then you started to learn how to lead yourself and then lead others. Yeah. And yeah. So where that shift start to happen uh, specifically around the water, but it might've happened before too. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, sports started to help because it helped me to see that I, that I was able to, you know, compete and be in proximity to the cool kids and actually do a good job. And it started to help me kind of shift what I thought I could do. But I, but I always knew I'm limited because of my stutter. Um, I started to surf my freshman year in high school. Because, you know, Southern California, I was a skater. You know, surfing's natural. You're in SoCal. You kind of have to surf. It's just the deal. It's a, it's a rite of passage. And, um, and, uh, and so I was going out there with my buddy. And... Like we get dropped off at eight in the morning at the local break and we'd stay all the, all the way through until five o'clock, just trying to learn, try to figure it out. You know, no one really taught us. They just, we just jumped in the water with some raggedy boards and, um, like we figured it out. But I, but I, as I started to surf, I'm like, oh, if I could surf, I could really be with the cool kids. Cause the surfers were, the, you know, they were the cool cats of everything, you know? And, um. They're still but, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're, it's a cool. It's a cool group of people. Um, but I, you know, in my TED talk, I talked about that, the experience of surfing and what I started to learn um, with my stutter. I started to realize that stutter has a lot to do with breathing and how you control your breath and how you control your calm and how you control the flow. Mm. Um, and I realized that when I was. Um, singing one time just because I like to sing just for fun. And I would, I would never stutter any song I sang mm. ever. I never stuttered. And I started to, you know, I, I was with the speech coach, I think maybe two times in junior high, but I'm like, I don't, I feel weird enough. I don't want to have a speech coach. I'm just not going to go. But she mentioned something about breathing and singing. So I remember that that kind of stuck. And then I, I realized, why don't I stutter when I, when I sing? Why is that not an issue? So I started to think about, you know, breathing and um, when you surf, you know, it depends upon the size, obviously, of, of the way. But you have to be relaxed. You have to be in the zone because there's a lot going on. There's yeah. waves coming. There's currents, you know, as 
as, as you just experienced that, there's all kinds of things to navigate, you right. know, incoming swells, set wave, mm. currents, rips. People around you. Every, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, my second time up uh, in Turtle Bay, um, you know, I told me to get up, I jump up, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere someone comes. Totally. And they cut they, you off. They, yeah. they, they, they didn't just cut me off. We, we went shoulder to shoulder, uh, and our boards banged together. Yep. I, I luckily stayed up, and he, he fell <laughs> over. But, um, yeah, I think I was more of like a tank or big guy out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I, even thinking of that, after that, I was like, oh, shoot, I, I even need to be more aware. Like, yeah. Almost like in fighting where you're thinking about punches coming or people from different angles. There's so much going on out there. Yeah. And there's an unwritten code in the water, too, that, I mean— like there's laws in the water that as a surfer you've got to follow. Like like on your drop when you when you're dropping in right or left, um, if there's a guy or gal on on your side who drops in first, you have to pull out. Otherwise, mm. they will just ramrod you on the wave, and it becomes dangerous. Yeah, you know. Um, but there's just kind of this this right of like like you look at people and nod because you know like it's their turn or mm. you know hey that was a that was a rad ride or whatever you know it's just kind of this unwritten kind of secret code and there's some real kooks out there in the water too and some real douchebags who will just you know um like one of the local breaks back in SoCal they were the local crew was so gnarly like if you went there to surf and it was a great wave um and you parked in the lot um and they saw you in the water not a part of their tribe they would go and um either slash your tires or they take baseball bat out of your windows on your car and just punk you out, you know, cause they were the locals and they, and they ruled and it was their yeah. break. Um, I hear down in Brazil, the surfers there, the, a lot of them know Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So pretty, some of their scraps will, will intense, turn into yeah. a grappling oh, match. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So in the water though, I, I started to realize, you know, that there's a phase, um, multiple phases when you surf, but there's the, there's the paddle out, obviously there's the picking of the wave, there's the pivot of your board. There's the, you know, like the paddling in and then there's, or the commitment where you have to pop up mm. and take your drop. And all that is kind of um, rhythmic, but it's very, you know, it's it's like, if you do it right, it's going to be awesome. If you don't, it's going to suck. Um, and when you make the pivot and then when you, when you drop in, everything becomes clear. Like all of a sudden, all the mess, all the, all the currents, all the noise, everything becomes crystal clear and you find your line and you just ride this evolving um, experience and it's super soulful and it's super like uh, transfixed with nature. And as I started to really understand that experience, the, the paddle out, the being calm, you know, um, there was that spot where I would always go, oh, mm. I got, oh, you know, just like this, a spiritual experience. Yeah. Because you find your spot in this um, ever-shifting environment that you have to create on the fly, in the moment, all the time. And you just have a couple seconds on that wave, and you got to make the most of it the best you can. Um, and it's in, in that where I started to see myself as something more than I thought I was. Because I, I equated the struggle of the ocean, the currents, the paddle out, the finding the right wave with learning how to navigate complexity, like mm. my thoughts. Yeah. And, you know, how do I navigate? Because I want to get to that ride out there. I want that point. I want that break. And I got to get in the lineup and I got to go wait my turn. And so how do I get there? And if the surf's really big, it's even more complex. And you're duck diving under massive amounts of water and getting all ragdolled everywhere. And But when you take that drop, 
um, I remember the biggest wave I ever surfed. Uh, it was in Maui on the backside and, um, it was, it was a big swell that day. Um, and out there they measure the swell by the back of the wave. Okay. We're, we're here in the States. We measure it from the front. So if it's like a 16 foot face here, they, they say it's only an eight foot sway, uh, okay. wave because they measure from the back and it's half of the back that it is on the front. So that day, um, it was about six to eight was the swell. Um, and that's not the set wave. So it's 12 to 16 feet on the face, you know, of the normal wow. waves. And the set waves are always bigger. And so they're coming in 18 to 20 feet. And uh, again, for the pros, that's their normal day. That was big for me, huge, yeah. like, you know, like the biggest stuff. And the water was just alive with energy and a churn. It was just, just this power that was moving in the water. And you entered it, you know, and you're like, wow, I'm a part of something way, way beyond me right now. But you had to find the calm and you had to, you know, had to paddle out right on the outside so you don't get hammered on the, on the drop sets. And so you're going out there and you're paddling like, man, this is, this might be over my head. I mean, obviously, literally, um, but this yeah. might be, I, I may, maybe this might be a dangerous paddle. Um, and the waves were coming in. They were so big. They were so like, like houses on houses just stacking up and it's Maui. And so there's just open water out there. There's no, like, um, like in SoCal, there's a bunch of islands that kind of will break up the swell and like chop it up and maybe bring it down. But that's just pure open ocean. And these waves are coming yeah, at do you. I remember flying in to Oahu mm -hmm. and they said there was major swells and you looked down there and you couldn't believe how oh. big the waves were yeah. coming in. I mean, they were just, it looked, it looked like a little tsunami almost. Totally. The first time yeah. I'm seeing that, you know, yeah. and, uh, and I was like, wow, is that going to like take over the beach or yeah, like go, yeah. go over the city, you know? Yeah. And, um, and it wasn't, but uh, it, it's, it's wild. Fightfortheforgotten.org. You can go check out Fight for the Forgotten, the foundation that I started. It is my passion project. It is something that I love so much because of the people we get to help. We had to help the pygmy tribe who adopted me in help themselves. We say opportunity is greater than charity. Charity can be great, but opportunity is just always better. That's why we've drilled something like 80 water wells already, providing over 30,000 people clean water. We've started sustainable farms, bought back over 3,000 acres of land for the people who originally owned it, put it in their name. We built 32 homes, and now... We're about to start a health center, a school, and a marketplace. They're going to have a maternity ward, a pediatrics unit, and a dental suite. You can join the Fight for the Forgotten Fight Club at fightfortheforgotten.org. We would love, love, love to invite you on this journey to join this fight arm in arm with us. Our fight club, it's a monthly giving club. You can give $5 or more a month, and that empowers us to empower people. Thank you for being on this journey with us. I invite you to come along for the ride. It's been absolutely epic, putting love and compassion in action and fighting for people. Fightfortheforgotten.org. Join our fight club. I mean, I, I just started watching 100 Foot Wave um, on yep. HBO. Yep. And it's these wild guys at Laird's that are crazy. And um, uh, the... Nazare. Yes. That big what? Yeah. Yeah. That, that thing, Portugal, that is, isn't yep, that? Yeah. Yep. That's oh a my freak of nature. That yeah. Thing, and dude. you see the people and when they fall, they're like 
skipping rocks. They get ragdolled. I mean, yeah, they, they get, get ragdolled. Yep. They say if they tense up at all, they're going to rip their shoulders and yep. arms and legs right off, basically. Yep. And so I couldn't imagine like hitting a big 16 foot wave for the first time or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and what those guys are doing is way out of my league. Sure. Way out sure. of my league. But it's still mad. I mean, those guys are, their mindset is like, off the grid almost because of what it takes to go out there and drop in and take that wave. And mm. like, I remember the story about the first guy who, who surfed that wave. Um, and he hit like a pivot and, and bailed and was ragdolled and broke like, I think almost every bone in his body Wow. healed up for the year and then went back that, out again. Yeah. The next year I'm like, that's, yeah, that's just, yeah, it's crazy. Wow. But in matter of like when I, when I was, when they were coming in, it's like, You've got to choose either you're going to stay out here forever and get stuck and washed out to sea, or you've got to pick a ride and go in, mm. you know, just to do it. And so, and and like, you're getting exhausted at this time. I mean, I was on little waves and, yeah, yeah, uh, you got it. And I, I couldn't believe how good of a or hard of a shoulder workout it was. It is. Yeah. It's all upper body. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of pull, a lot of pull. Um, and so, uh, I picked my ride. I'm like, okay, here it comes. This is, this is the set. It's huge. It's monstrous. And, and, You've got to decide at that moment because if you hesitate, then you get caught in the, you know, in the whitewash, the, the roll of the wave, and then you just get hammered. Um, and so you, you got to pick, you got to pivot, and then you got to commit. And when you make the commitment and you, and you drop in, I remember dropping in, it was so steep. I was looking straight down because it, it just walls up and it pitched. It was on a big reef. So it would hit that reef and just slam up really high and, and, like I dropped in, I'm like, oh shit, this is really big. But as soon as I stood up, popped up, caught the rail on the on the lip of the wave, and started to go, I, I just went into this calm, this just this total inner like Zen place. I'm like, man, this is this is the thing. And as I started to experience that more and more and more, I started to see life differently. I hmm. saw I saw life. Previously, it's just the struggle to paddle out. Man, this is hard work. Man, this is, oh, I can't. This is rough. I, that was my stutter. It was always, this is hard. I'm, this mm -hmm. is always going to be the thing. Um, but then as I started to equate metaphorically that experience of dropping in and finding my calm in the midst of chaos and holding yeah. that line, I started to go, I, I, I can shift how I see myself. And I'm going to shift how I see myself. And that helped me start to learn to understand my stutter. You know, and like you, if I'm really tired, if I'm stressed, if I'm if I'm nervous, if I'm not aware of, you know, the cadence going in my head and my heart and all that kind of stuff, I, you know, I stutter still, you know, and I, um, but not at all like I used to, but I've, but I've learned to understand it because I've learned to, again, realize that I can, I can change my future. I can change how I see things. I can change how I look at life. I get to choose. Now, I mean, I'm not always successful at that. I get woe is me all the time and, you know, get dark and stuff. But I, but I know that's on me. You know, it's not on the experience. Because stuttering has been now, it's a gift. It's a thing that yeah. I'm really, really thankful for. Yeah. It's giving you a perspective on life that you can share right now, yep. right here, so our yep. listeners can, can really learn from it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really great comparison. Um, really great lesson, life lesson mm. that, that, that the stutter talked to you, yeah, totally. uh, taught you. And yeah, for me, I think it's whenever probably the two worse are whenever I'm exhausted or embarrassed mm. that oh, that's, yeah, yeah. that's when it comes out just instantly, yep. but, uh, not instantly, but, but I can catch it now, but it used to all the time. And 
I have this friend named Jeremy Scholes, and mm. your story reminded me of him because he's got a, uh, I think his Instagram is Beats from the Core, and he's a drummer. Mm. But he grew up in Redding, California. Yep. And he ended up, he heard my story on Joe Rogan's, and he, he decided he was going to do something to raise funds for our bullying prevention program. Mm. So he decided to walk from Brooklyn to Reading, so basically all the way across America to the, from the Brooklyn Bridge to the Sundial Bridge in Reading, uh, his hometown. And uh, he still had a little bit of a stutter whenever he did that walk. But how he started to heal his stutter was basically um, he became a drum coach. And he was grew up getting really heavily bullied mm-hmm. in middle school, high school. In high school, because he's older than we are, um, they put him in... Uh, basically special ed. Oh, um, really? Yeah. And, uh, well, he actually had Tourette's, okay. uh, Tourette's and a stutter mm. with Tourette's. And because they didn't know what to do with people with Tourette's, they just put him in special ed, even though he's smart and, and yeah. a good guy. Um, and what well, anyone can be a good guy in special <laughs> education, but he, he just, he, yeah. he felt like he didn't belong there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he, he started drumming and whenever he would play, uh, the different, I don't know what you call it, the different snares or different parts of the drums mm-hmm. and the different cymbals, he would think about having a conversation. Mm. The big one in front of him was him talking. And then the others would be like, he would pretend like put faces of people that he was having a conversation with and he would think about what they're saying or their sound, their rhythm. And then he'd mm. come back and think about what he was saying. And rhythm. he'd just go back and forth. Yep. Yeah, rhythm, like flow. you said. Yeah, yeah. flow. Mm-hmm. And um, man, I, I, I talked with him before he started the walk. And then the whole journey was like uh, two or three months um, across America. And by the time he got the, to the end, um, there's all of the media there congratulating him, interviewing him. He did not have any Tourette's or stutter at wow. all during any of the interviews. Wow. Like it was a spiritual experience. Yeah. He was all alone. He wasn't distracted with his phone the whole time. He was in nature. He was, he was having conversations with people along the way, people buying his meals, finding mm. out he's doing it for charity and things like that. But anyways, I think that, that, the, that his was drumming and walking, yours was surfing, mine was martial arts. And it's just, it's really interesting to me to think about how we overcome in these battles yeah. and, and what, what God or the universe brings into our life so that we can, we can not just deal with it, but move past it or move through it yeah. and then be able to share those experiences with others. Yeah, I think um, your, like your story about the bullying thing and what you do um, and you talked about on those podcasts, I just love and it really resonated with me because um, both my parents are teachers growing up. My dad taught for like 39 years. My mom taught, I think, for maybe 25. My dad taught um, three years in high school and then 36 years in junior high. Same classroom, same school. Wow. Just just the routine. Um, and the kids loved him. I mean, just loved my dad. And, um, and he, he's got a really sensitive heart, you know, mm-hmm. just loves on people. Um, and I watched him growing up, how he treated the students. But more importantly, you know, it was a small town that I lived in, but every time we'd go out, grocery store, bank, restaurant, people would go, hey, Mr. Hansen, hey, my favorite teacher from eighth grade, hey, you changed my life, or hey, wow. you were so great, and um, all the time. So, like, I saw his impact on people's lives my whole life. I'm like, man, I want to be, I want to, I want to, I want to do that because that's life altering for people. I mean, every time people would say, you know, Mr. Hanson, you're the only guy who cared for me, the only mm. teacher who ever gave me time. Wow. All the other teachers were just rude or, or, you know, didn't give a shit or whatever. Absent instead of present. Totally. And yeah. 
and he would take like the kids that were bullied the most and hurt the most and the ones that were like just in the corner, you know, of life. And he would just love on them, mm. you know, and, and time after time they'd come back and go, because of you, because you cared for me, I became this or I have a family now and I can love on my kids. And so I saw him love on people all the time and I saw him loved the unloved mm. and I saw him protect uh, those that were being bullied all the time. And so his example really um, still just sticks in my head and my heart of, of, of how important it is to care. And then, and then you put on top of that my stutter and my, you know, sensitivity to being bullied and how that feels and how I hate that. I became a teacher. I taught for like five years. And I was so, you know, and I'm sure you are so aware of other people and their feelings. And you can just spot things in people in an expression and their body language and a comment. And you can just, you can read them and you can go, yep, okay, I get it. And um, I was able to just watch my dad and learn from him, love on people, and how important that is, whatever stage of life you are. And then you marry that with, you know, my understanding of what it's like to be bullied. And then you really have a different view on people. You really want to protect those that are bullied and you really want to love on people because so many people just want to be loved. Even yeah. the jackasses are, they're just saying, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a prick, but deep inside I'm hurting. I'm, I'm hurting. Yeah, so true. I want to I want to talk about your dad, but also on on that point you just finished with. I mean, uh, if I speak at a school about bullying or something like that, which public speaking is my number one fear mm -hmm. yeah. for sure. I can fight in front of a bunch of people, but yeah. but speak in front of a small group, I get nervous, handshake, totally, uh, armpit sweat, home sweat, like <laughs> totally. all that. But yeah. um, you know, hurt people, hurt people. But I think on the other side, what you see is like like your story or the story of your dad. Like loved people, love people, yeah. and helped people help others. And, um, that's people that have been led in a, a great way. You, like the students, your, your dad impacted. Now mm -hmm. they're doing, yeah. doing the same. And, and you, I wanted to ask, like, do you think your passion for leadership came from the way that your dad 100%. led his classroom mm -hmm. 100%. And, and loved those students? Mm -hmm. Wow. So, you know, um, as a teacher, I knew the formula because I watched my dad and I watched my mom and, um, and I got it and I loved it. And I loved, I was a coach. I was a soccer coach, a surf coach and loved being with the kids. And it was just, it was such a, it was such a, like a drug because you could, you could pour into their lives and they would pour back in. Um, and then I got into business, got married, was living in Southern California. I'm like, I can't afford life with a family and as a teacher. Um, so Especially I got in California. Yeah. To, yeah, oh, yeah Austin's becoming awesome. Yeah, yeah. Same, same. Um, and, uh, and so I got into business and, uh, but really struggled with, man, I've got this skill set as a teacher. I don't know how to put it into business. Um, and over the years, it, it finally clicked. Um, like there's a quote that I said in the Ted talk that my dad, um, that he, that, that he talked to me about. He said, Rick, I find one thing great in every student and I mm. celebrate it. Yeah. I want them to see one thing in them that is great so that they can then go and do more and more and more. And like, as a leader, that's my job too. With, with my teams that I lead and the businesses that I run, my job is to pour into the people that I lead because I am their servant. Like my dad was the servant of the students. I'm not here for the business. I'm here for the people. But consequently, if you run the people well and you love on them and you give them respect and you push them and you hold them accountable, they will perform and your business will excel. Because business is all about 
profits. And so I was always trying to figure out, okay, all these guys really care about is the profits, but I care about the people, but I know profits are important to keep jobs. So what's, what's, what's the tie? And I'm like, it's people, people before profits, get your people right, treat them well, profits will flow, you yeah. know, obviously with a good business model. But I mean, I, and so like it clicked, I'm like, like my dad did for his students, I need to do that for my teams and yeah. multiple businesses that I've run consequently have been super successful because of the people, not me, but because I've learned how to help them see themselves differently, which then elevates their performance, which then elevates the business. Um, so I, you know, it, it's really good. It goes back to the surfing thing too. It's like, you know, you, you, you have to find the potential in you, but more importantly, you have to help others see the potential in them mm. because they will benefit and it'll be a great marriage on all levels. How do you think, what's, what's a intentional way you can develop your own potential or help someone else develop theirs? It's a good question. Great question. Um, I mean, I think it's, it's different for everyone. Um, I guess you have to discover it first and then you start to deepen and continue to develop it from there. Yeah. I think like, um, if I could take an example of, uh, like one of the businesses I was running, um, it wasn't mine except I was running a business unit. Um, and it was, it was a crippled business unit. They needed, they needed it, um, reorged, recharged culture was bad. The people were afraid. Um, but, but the potential of the business was huge. And so I was set in there to go and fix it. You know, I'm like, in, in my head, I'm like, I don't know how the hell I'm going to do that. But I'm like, yeah, I'll take the job. It's awesome. Um, but once I got there, I'm like, I just need, I need to listen to the people I'm in charge of. And so I would go out and sit in the aisles with them and just watch them do their job because I didn't know the business. I, I was just, I was from another business, but I had to learn it. So I just, I, I would sit with them. I'd sit with each one of them, you know, for a couple hours, day after day after day, and just do what I called a listening tour. Mm. So I could learn the business and I could learn the individuals. And by sitting with them and talking to them, they got to see that, A, I was on their level and I cared about them because I had asked them about their life, also about their job. Mm. And then I would start to see them as an individual. And going back to the stutter, because I listened all the time and watched all the time, I could start to see and understand people pretty quickly mm -hmm. because of that skill. You know, again, like the blessing of stuttering. Um, and so I would identify in every person something like my dad's quote that was great or good or skillful or where they were talented. And I would hone in on that and I would compliment them and I would give them, hey, that, that was awesome what you did. That's really cool. Would you show me how you did that or why you did that? And I would use them as, as examples in front of the group. Hey, she just nailed this thing. Why don't you share what you did with the team and, you know, like to help them out. So by learning to identify strengths and the uniqueness and every person that you're a part of, you start to see their potential and then you start to hone in on that so they can see it. Because sometimes it just takes you noticing it, elevating up and so they can see it. And then they'll go, oh, okay, this, this thing that I do, he likes and has given me accolades for. I didn't think it was a big deal, but maybe it is. And then you just hone in on that and you find that thing in someone um, and you help them see it, you know, and, yeah. and, that's, and that's what my dad did with students all the time all the time. And I'm yeah. just like, it's not as hard as I thought. Yeah. I love that because when you say you're on their level, like li literally eye to eye, eye, to eye. heart to heart, yep. not, not like maybe some, 
some business models or, or structures where someone's like coming from over or above yep. and hovering and speaking almost down to you. Yep. You're speaking with, you're having an actual conversation. You're not just talking at them. You're talking with, with them. Yep. And so that's, that's really, really important. Well, in, in business, I'm wondering, I'm wondering this because you say that you grew up in a, a faith filled home and I have family that's in ministry and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then I went to Africa, started the nonprofit. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of times, you know, inflation's going up and people, uh, financially are battling yeah, and totally. Um, and what do you think is a, a healthy way to view money? Because I think, I think I've started to have a shift, but I feel like, um, a lot of times it's, it's not taught and the things that are taught almost is, uh, not just bad habits, but I think what I'm saying from the background or, or culture that I grew up in, it's almost like a poverty mindset, not, not really seeing that as money as a blessing, uh, but almost as a curse. Uh, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how would, how would they call it almost, uh, the martyrism of, yes, yeah. of like, I can't have, I don't deserve or things like that. And, and I think that the way that I picked up on what you were saying is, man, as, as I pour into people and add value to their lives, like profits go up mm-hmm. and it's just like, man, whenever you start to provide, um, value, whenever you're a person, not of, just of success, but significance Yep. because you're living a life. I think that's that, the word. Yeah. That's significance. Word. Okay. Yeah. I think, I, I mean, cause again, I mean, like you, um, I'm at, my parents are teachers. I was never in want, but we were never wealthy by any means. And we would skim by all the time. And, you know, my parents are always in debt. And so I, you know, and we were, you know, we were Christians. And so that was, that was the, you know, again, like the mindset, it's good to be poor. Cause that's when you really see, you know, that's when you really understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I get the concept, but it doesn't mean you only have to be poor to see that that's not yeah. because now you're using money as the thing that is the thing. It's not the thing. It's how you see things. It's how you mm-hmm. choose to see things and being wealthy and a believer is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's what you value. Is the money you value or the significance you bring to the trade or the work that you do important to you? Because then money becomes just a natural byproduct of the yeah. whole thing, not the focus, not the center. Yeah, and a tool and a way to to really be generous. Um, That's Yeah. I, I, I've so wanted to succeed in business, and so I could give back to my parents. Mm. That was always because I'm, you know, they gave me everything they could, you know, and I just thought, man, I just want to, I want to have money so I can, support my family, my wife, my kids, that's a goal. And I want to live well and have fun. But I also, I've learned like watching my parents, they gave when they had nothing to give, you know? And so it's like, it wasn't how much it's, it's how much it cost you like to give, whether it was a dollar or a thousand dollars, because that was the gesture towards their significance. Right. And, um, I, I just started to see, more and more that if you value money, you'll never, ever, ever be happy. But if you value things that bring significance into people's lives, it's very likely money will come. Mm. But if you stri- if you know, a lot of my um, career in business, I would, I would focus just on money. Like, how do I get a better paycheck? How do I close more deals? How do I get into a bigger firm? Um, and it was an obsession, you know, because I, I didn't, I didn't want that feeling I had when I was younger. Um, but then I realized, wow, I'm my fricking focus on money is, is, is it, it's losing everything that 
I learned from my mom and my dad, you know, that should apply in the business world. Because um, I was thinking the other day about like your bullying thing, and um, it's the same at work. I mean, bosses bully mm. all the time through org structure and through um, hierarchical chance, you know, like I'm the boss and you do this and I, you're, you do what I say because I have a title and you don't. It's a very top-down, very demonstrative, very suppressive structure. And it's in most of corporate America. And it's, it, it is, it's bullying, you know, yeah. it's bullying in the corporate life because yeah. you, because you feel only worth what your boss says you're good at, you know? And yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm not to name names, but probably the, the biggest bully I've experienced past, like, or, or at least on par with like a kid that tortured me in middle school was seeing a non, a nonprofit CEO, mm. um, bullying his, his mm. employees and, and really destroying lives and relationships. Yeah. And, um, some of the terminology he would use was, he had to assassinate this person like mm. f metaphorically sure. oh, right? Yeah. or yeah. he would uh he would ha he would celebrate leaving a trail of dead bodies from, oh, from totally. behind him in this totally. way and i'm just yeah. like whoa is this is this a nonprofit world what is this language coming from yeah. and i think it's just a lot of times it's uh man just broken people but the mm -hmm. uh, interesting statistic you when you Look at the CDC and bullying. Mm -hmm. They say number at people that are at risk for suicide when it comes to a bullying scenario or situation. Yeah. Number three is uh, the bully. Number two is the victim. Mm. And then when I read that, I was like, wait, what in the world? Wow. Um, and they listed that way. Number three, number two. I'm like, who's number one? Like getting through that. I'm like, who's number one? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't get it. And it was the person that um, was a bully victim. Uh, or a victim bully, they be they were victimized by bullying and they didn't know what to do with it. So they acted out as a bully. They became a bully. So now they're conflicted on both sides, right? Oh, wow. Um, and and those are the I, number ones? Yeah, that's the number one at risk for suicide is wow. the one that um, is bullied and then becomes a bully yeah. or acts out as a in yeah. bullying behavior. Um, and I'm like, whoa, you know, uh, and then I, I'm so grateful for your dad, man. Oh, I'm he, so grateful awesome. for him. What's his name? Dave Hansen. Dave Hansen. So grateful for Dave. Funny thing um, on your uh, on the cover of your podcast, you know, with, with with your with your tat and the beard and mm -hmm. everything, you literally looked just like my dad. He was like <laughs> probably thirty five or forty. Okay. And I saw the podcast and the and the invite. I'm like, is that my is that my dad? What's the deal? <laughs> he looked just like you in that photo. Dude. It was uh, just eerie. That's awesome. I I can't wait for my mom to hear this. She'll probably say I look like your dad now because <laughs> she 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 goes. Why'd you make that picture? You look like you're 60, 65. I'm like, I do? And she's like, it makes it look like you're a lot older. And I'm like, I don't know. It's coming out of a, a, a frozen river in Colorado, and they, uh, sna they snapped this picture of nice. me. And, um, it works. It totally yeah, works. Yeah, it's just kind of like rising out of that. For me, water is really symbolic because after my second suicide attempt, mm -hmm. um, I was in, in, in Mexico, and I took all the pills, snorted all the Coke, drank all the liquor, um, and I shouldn't be here. And mm. I did that at a, either around noon or 2 PM is the best I gather from it. Yeah. But everything went out. The lights started to close in on me, mm. literally lost my peripheral vision and it just went all black and mm. then kind of all white, but everything got cold and dark and I was like paralyzed basically. Um, and when I woke up the next day, it was like 
6 or 7 a.m. And all of a sudden I was like, <gasps> a gas, you know, but I've been out for well over 12 hours, more like 16 hours or 17 yeah. hours. And I went out onto the beach and I got into the water and the water was just coming over me. I felt so much shame with every wave. Mm. It was just like a wave of mm. shame, a wave of guilt, a wave of condemnation, just like how dumb, how stupid, you can't even succeed at that. And um, wow. then, uh, then I just felt like connecting to my breath. And you being a surfer is why I'm sharing yeah. this because mm. the ocean, the, that water was like healing for me. Mm -hmm. um, and all of a sudden it was like, be grateful for, my heart was beating out of my chest. Mm. Um, cause I almost overdosed. And so it was like, be grateful for your heart, your heartbeat. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm grateful for this beating heart in my chest. And then it's like, be grateful for the breath of breath in your lungs. I'm like, oh, I'm grateful for this breath of my lungs. And mm -hmm. it's so like, it's like it kind of shifted to where every wave that came over me was like gratitude after that. Wow. It was like more and more gratitude. And I felt this, this voice or spirit, um, say like, I was going to ask yeah, yeah, what open your eyes. And right when I opened my eyes, I mean, it, I, I heard it, but it, it felt like it was inside my head, right? Like yep. a thought, but it felt like it was different, not, not for me. Yeah. And, uh, mm. so God just, yeah. Open your eyes. And whenever I looked up, like that's right when the sun broke on the horizon mm. and I got to watch the most epic sunrise I've ever seen in my entire life. And I just wept. I just started crying. Um, but I'm partially colorblind, but this morning I saw more colors wow. than I've ever seen in my entire life. It's so vivid. And I get, it was after a, a, a bunch of drugs in my system and stuff like that, yeah. but they weren't psychedelics and, but everything just came to life. And I was like, Whoa. Um, and that's the moment I decided I was mm. going to go get help and go to treatment. And, um, yeah, man, I just, uh, I'm fascinated by those moments of gnarly tragedy. Yeah. And, you know, um, again, not to go on a segue, but I, no, you're good. I do believe that, you know, God uses those moments. Mm. If, if you let him, if yeah. you're open to it, if you're open to it, if you're open to it, to shift how you look at things through a, a you know, incredible experience. Yeah. And, uh, I just, I mean, it's a tragic story, but I love that story because yeah. I love the transformation and I love the fact that you heard that voice. And I love the fact that you chose to, to let that wash over you and feel things. And I think, um, you know, there's back to the surfing bit when you, when you duck dive a big wave, like when it, like when it's crashing or like it crashes just before you. And the only way is to go through it, which is never good. You've got to dive deep and go under it the best okay. you can. And, uh, but usually when you duck dive, there's just a ton of churn on, on the water and underneath. So you have to just go completely limp in the water and just relax. Mm. Because if you panic and you start to swim, you may be swimming down because you don't know what's up and what's down. And so the only way to make it is you just let go and relax and wait until your body starts to float up. And that's when you trigger to go up. Hmm. But I think the water, that helped me with my stutter as well, because I realized when I'm relaxed, when I'm calm, and I just let the churn all around me, wait until it elevates me, and then I can feel a calm, and then I can breathe, and then I'm out on the backside of the wave. Yeah. And I just think that, you know, those, again, my story is very different than what you just shared, but I'm, I'm talking about the water bit and how you can literally, you know, have a spiritual experience in those moments. And nature is so good at that mm -hmm. because it just draws you to the dirt from where you're from, you know, and it makes you go, wow, all this stuff around me, all these thoughts, all these things, what is really important? What is really real?
you know. I think my favorite thing on earth that's not a a person's water, you know. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's it's I love to with our nonprofit we we drill water wells and we give that mm-hmm. to people and um, I was in an ice bath today and an ice bath uh, yesterday and um, that's the thing huh yeah I really like it you'll have to come stop by and try it sometime. yeah I'd like to yeah I'd like to I'm sure you've maybe done it before have you no I, I haven't okay. actually I, I'm just yeah. I've watched all the it's well you've the, been you've been in the really cool water at, the, at yeah. sun, sunrise actually, actually when I surf we did it all the time it was yeah, cold yeah. the water yeah. in Cali's cold. Right. Um, you'll have to come try it sometime, but no, that, that moment for me was just, uh, it was, it can seem really traumatic. Um, but man, that's, I don't look at that with any sort of PTSD, that suicide Mm. attempt, which is, which is actually, I've never really talked about or thought about because there's other moments that are very traumatic in my life, um, being beat up or abused or whatever. And, uh, and even Amy's seen a real shift since I went to, treatment and, and got help that when I share the stories of bullying, like, uh, my lip doesn't quiver as much or mm. I'm not like as impacted as much. Um, I still feel it, but not, not in a negative way. Like, I, um, but that moment I've never looked back on as negative because it was so powerful, so profound yeah. that it, that it changed everything for me where it was like at 13 years old was the first time I was suicidal. Wow. And you believe the things kids say about you. And I literally oh, yeah. had a kid say, you should just kill yourself. So mm. I believed that. Then after that, my first suicide attempt was at 23. And my second was at 33. Mm. For some reason, every 10 years. Mm. But um, but yeah, that moment, I was, I was suicidal off and on for basically two decades, 20 years. Wow. And there were, there was years of it, not even thinking about it, but, um, whenever dark times would come or depression would hit or, um, you know, I would, I would go straight back to those thoughts. Mm. Uh, but since that moment, um, no. And and that's not how I think and, uh, not how I feel. And I'm able to, I'm able to really be like, wow, you know, um, well, you described as actually like a beautiful experience. I mean, I mean, that was tragic, but your recollection of that was, it's beautiful. I mean, it's really amazing. Before it was really dark. Yeah. Um, but that, that bright light, that sunrise, yep. uh, the water coming over me, like basically washed over all that, mm. um, mm. that, that light's brighter than that darkness. It made me wonder about your story yeah. because when I look at your bios on different sites and stuff, you, the stutter's not mentioned. And I wondered if, you know, the bullying, the, the things that you overcame, that they're not part of the story that you tell. Are you ever mm. amazed by that? Do you ever look at your own story and go, wow, I have so much else to say that that's not even a defining thing of me necessarily anymore? Yeah. I mean, I, I yes, that's a, that's a great question. I, you know, I, um, because it is so central to my whole life, how I think, how I feel, how I see what I believe. Um, but I, I think a part of me, um, I used to look at it as such a weakness and such a, like a, like, like a chink in my armor, a crack in my metal that I just, I didn't want to deal with it. Um, but then I've been, you know, reading a lot about mindset too. And, uh, you know, um, and how you can reshape how your brain sees and thinks things. Mm. And I've, and I've learned that, you know, that, that time that I shared like back in kindergarten, that emotion that I felt of that, man, I'm, I'm weird. I'm different. I'm not like anyone. Um, that thought I attached to that emotion of insecurity. 
And so whenever I feel that emotion of insecurity, I'm drawn right back to that moment. And my mind just pops me right back there to that space. Um, and I thought that was just how it always was going to be until I realized that I can disassociate that emotion from what I felt from the memory. Like the memory is there, but it just was the thing. If I learned to realize it was just a thing and I can extract the emotion of feeling insecure and go, no, that was a moment that started to shape me for who I am and who I'm going to be. And then it becomes a moment of like, okay, no, that was a moment almost of revelation of like, okay, I have something that no one else does and I'm going to learn from what I have. Yeah. So, I, I mean, um, I share it if the, if the circumstances are right and I feel it's, it's necessary, like when I was a teacher with a student that was down and out, or actually with my kids, you know, if, if my daughter's having a bad day or being bullied or doesn't feel right at school, um, I will talk about that all day long with them and say, look, I, I understand how you feel. I, I, I get that, that isolation that, you know, so. You become relatable yeah. and then, um, uh, and, and empathetic and, and you get on their level again. Yeah. But I think you said something really powerful. What was that thought again that would take you back to that place? Uh, I'm different. Yeah. Um, I'm different. I'm not like anyone. I think Amy and I were just having this conversation yesterday and that, that old thing that used to be an insecurity now can become something empowering or, totally. or a superpower yep. where it's like, I am different yep. and I am unique yep. and I'm the only one in this position to be able to do it this way or have this story and be able to share it this way. Um, we were just, uh, who was, oh, it was Sarah. It's Sarah Silverman. It yeah. was a quote that she had shared from her podcast where she was talking about the very thing that was, she was depressed about, which mm. was like, nothing matters. She ended up feeling like happy about the same sentence. Like nothing matters. Just go have fun. You yeah. know, it doesn't yeah. matter. And I shared on my story, I shared that, but then I also shared a something I had read that said, when you're feeling down, write all the things you're aggravated mm -hmm. about. And when you're feeling up, then write all the things that you're feeling grateful for. And oftentimes those are the same things yeah. on the list. Mm. And so mm. it's the same sort of thing. It's just how do we pivot that? And sometimes it's just so hard to do because you get caught up in those old stories. But, oh, totally. But it's possible. And I've watched Justin do it, you know, with, he was still doing speaking um, gigs or whatever and telling the same story, but entering into those old emotions rather than being able to step out of it and yeah. see those as incidents that made him who he is today, mm. standing on that stage, whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. And going mm. to treatment the second time, because I went twice and the first time didn't really stick. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and that one was three times longer, 90 days. But I, I, I think at that first time I thought I'm a fighter and I've been able to do this, 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 or that I can do this with bullying. And I, it was, or not bullying addiction. I, need to attack what's been attacking me. And I was like harsh to myself. And also the therapists were pretty harsh and other mm -hmm. things. It wasn't yeah. like a love filled place. Um, it was like a shame based place. Yeah. But the second time they really helped me change my perspective and my sponsor, I'm going to call him and thank him after this because he really changed my perspective with mm -hmm. addiction because like how you looked at stuttering like, why God, why me? I'm almost like, why do I have to deal with this? Or why yeah. do I, um, and, and I almost would say for probably 10 years, I would say like, cause I'd have significant times of sobriety. I would say I used to be an addict mm. 
and like it was something I, I absolutely overcame and I'm, I'm cured from. And then all of a sudden I'd sneak back up or, mm. or not sneak back up, I'd fall back to it. Yeah. And then I feel so much shame and, and guilt and all this stuff. And my, a guy that really helped me in my life said, why are you torturing yourself with this? And why won't you accept it? Mm. You need to accept this. And if you do, like, don't just accept it, but like, be grateful for it, that this is the mm. best thing that's ever happened to you. Yeah. Like, let it be your superpower. Let it be something that because you have it, you get to help this many more people. Yeah. And because you're not sharing it in the past tense, or because you say this is something that can be the way we try to relate it and, or I've tried to relate it in addiction. It's like, man, it's like a broken bone. Uh, maybe there's not an instant cure from it, but with physical therapy and with like treatment, yep. like you heal from it and a broken bone, like heal stronger than stronger, before. Yeah. Right. But, um, but there isn't really a bandaid fix or like a one-time pill or a magic yeah. potion, uh, to take for it. And that shift for me has really been a gift mm. because now I get to give that same gift to others. Or once I know someone's struggling, it's like, Oh, I'm there for them. I can show up. I can really give them all the gifts that have been given to me, or at least the knowledge that helped. And, um, and then they get to take it and, and I don't have to have attachment. I'm learning that with, with a friend is like, mm. I'm not attached to the outcome with them. It's just be there for them if yeah. they, they ask for help, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, now, now I'm not trying to hide, hide it, you yeah. know, or say it's all way in the past. It's like, no, it's, it's there. It's, it's literally in my mind. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and there's a treatment for it. As long as I, I stay on top of it just like a diabetic yep. stays on top of their medication or yeah. someone with whatever, uh, you know, uh, someone with an allergy of like peanuts, right? Or yeah. nut allergy. They can't really switch from peanuts to almonds to cashews or maybe to cashews because that's really a, a seed, right? But mm -hmm. um, yeah, anyways, I just think perspective is, is, is key. Do you have any other moments of like perspective shifts that that have really helped either form you or been a gift you can give to others? I think it's, I don't think there's a moment, but I think there's, um, like my wife is a strong woman and, and she's way smarter than I am. And she's very determined. And, um, and we butt heads a lot because we're both very strong willed, but, um, early in marriage, I would say, oh, I can't, I just can't. She's like, don't say that word. Mm. Don't say can't. I'm like, well, I can't. She's like, no, no, you're choosing to not do it. That's what you're doing. And I'm like, oh, God, you know, so then we get in a fight about that. But over the years, she's, she's um, as I've listened to her, and she's right a lot of the time, I hate it. Um, but then, and also like a lot of the re um, reading, I reflected back on how important words have been, you know, for me. Words have been like, as a kid, I would look at someone who could talk without a stutter. I'm like, do you realize what you have? Mm. You have gold on your tongue. You can just say whatever you want, however you want, wherever you want, whenever you want, without an utterance of, of, of battle. Um, and I would just go, oh, words, if I could just use words. And then I started to realize that, you know, words actually have power when you speak them because it signals to your brain what you're telling it to do. I can't, mm. you know, I won't, it's a struggle. Um, woe is me, I'm a victim, you're telling your brain how to think. And then those emotions that equate with those thoughts become your reality. Mm -hmm. And then you just go in this cycle. So I've really, um, it's not just a moment, but I've really learned over time, the thing that I wanted the most of was just to speak words. But now I'm realizing there's real power in words and to, you know, 
because of my stutter, I try to choose my words very carefully and you know, speak what I what I think, and but not always out loud because it's unfiltered. And so words have become super important to me, and I think that's been a part of the shift in how I've I've learned to see myself differently. Is to is to um, you know say the words that empower your thoughts and believe them. Not like you know it's not like I can go and join the NBA and be a stud on the court. But I mean, like it's, there are natural limits, but you, you just have to learn like in surfing, I have to know which waves I can surf and which waves I definitely shouldn't even paddle out for. You just have to know. And I think, um, it's really helped me go, man, I used to struggle with words, but now I really understand the power of words. And I'm really glad I had to struggle with words because now I, I mean, they're precious now and they were scarce then, but now I go, man, that actually really changes how I can view life and what I can do and what I can't do. And um, so, yeah, so it's been moments. I wouldn't say a moment. Yeah. I really, really like that. Thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, even how you said, you know, people don't realize there's gold on their tongues. <laughs> what a gift yeah. that they have. And, um, and then now, I mean, words can cut, oh, yeah. words can destroy, mm. you know, and I, I think I, I get so, frustrated with people when they throw words callously at others or just outside because again that used to be you know my savings account like my money words were money it's like I, I couldn't spend it because I didn't have it and I just think words are just such a, a powerful thing and like like you say super super hurtful and like the bullying can literally cut souls yeah, and you can speak life into people and the, the power of your words yep. coming out. Um, I think that's that's something I'm going to take away from this is like I need to start saying some some things that whether I want to create in reality or ways that I want to be, I'm going to start speaking out loud. And Amy's You're Amy's, pretty good about it already, but yeah. yeah, there's I mean we can always do better. But what do you remember what you told me about? I can't believe it. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Like people, how many people say that? Like, yeah, I can't believe, believe it. it. And, yep. Something good and, would happen. I would go, I can't believe it. Yeah. Like, this is awesome. Yeah. I can't believe it. I get to have a podcast now. I can't believe it. I get to no. do, go do this. No. Yeah. And she's like, stop saying that, please. Like <laughs> or reframe it. Yeah. Let's reframe it to, I can, I can believe it. it. Yeah. And so whenever good things happen now, we, we try to go, I can believe it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And yeah. It's been, it's been, it's been fun for me even sharing that with some friends. Well, and just to it. recognize it in myself too, because I'll catch myself like I can't, whatever. And then a little voice inside me says, not with that attitude. You yeah. can't. You know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I was joking like when I walked in, um, I think I was talking to you about this. You know, I, I, again, love being here, honored to be here, flattered to be here. But when I got the ask, I was like, do you have the right guy? Are you sure? Mm. What do I have to offer? You know, that quick, like, insecurity pops in, like, I'm not good enough. Why would they want me here? You know, um, and my daughter's like, why wouldn't they want you here, Dad? You're oh, super wow. cool. You're, you've <laughs> yeah. done this. You've done that. You've done. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, I like it's it's when we aren't aware of how fast we can go to the place we shouldn't. We go there like that, you know, because mm. your mind allows you to like with stuttering. If I, you know, I know how to pull back the throttle and say the words slowly and not stutter. But sometimes I just charge in and I can't say anything. And I'm like, ah, oh, shit, here it comes again. You know, but it's that, um, it, it's the, I can't believe it, you know, mm -hmm. because there's just this, we have this 
internal doubt that just resides within us that is so, if we give it food, we'll just grow into something monstrous, you know, and it's it just so, it is, that's why I so appreciated the changing of the word struggle from Jared to mm. battle, because we do have to battle. And battling actually is super fulfilling mm. and super challenging. Yeah. And there's it, it's something that you can fight through and not always win, but when you fight through and, and you learn that you have the stamina to do that, whether you're exercising or mentally going through things, it is so invigorating yeah. and so empowering. You're speaking my language there. Mm. Like battling is one of my favorite things to do on this earth. Mm. Um, like competing, yeah. whether it's wrestling or jujitsu or fighting. And I'm really trying to prepare for a comeback now and got a little banged up. But man, there's just, I was just saying in that video that was cut today, uh, we got the final draft. I'm never better than whenever I'm training in, competing in, or teaching martial arts. Mm. Like getting prepared or going to... Yep or yep. helping someone else get ready for battle. And man, I'm so grateful you connected the dots between Jared and and struggle to battle and and your way of seeing it because that's so helpful. Hmm. It's helpful for me hmm. and and I really think it's going to help someone that that listens and what daughter was it that that told you that? My middle. Well, Your actually middle. my both, my oldest and my middle, but um like my oldest. Again? Uh she's a my She's oldest is 18, 18. Yep. And then uh, middle is 15. 15. And it's kind of, oh, sorry. No, good. I just wanted to just say something about what you were just talking about struggle and battle, yep. battle. And the f funny irony with both of you is that you are embracing this battle, but you both have these platforms or not really platforms, but what you do is based in flow, mm. like you mm. with surfing and you with a martial arts, which I don't know that much about martial arts, but I know that there is a lot about flow yeah, for in sure. it. So yes, you're both talking about how you love that battle, but you're also talking about flow. Mm. Yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> within and, that or yeah. something. Well, and I think, um, I think again, as an athlete, I mean, whatever you do, at the first stage of an event, whether it's a triathlon or, or a match, I mean, it is kind of chaotic and it's and it's messy and you have to find like a rhythm. But then it, if, if you're trained well, mm -hmm. and, and this is life too, if you understand that you just find this natural state where you are able to hover in. And when I was always so destroyed by my stutter, I could never find the flow. Yeah. I find it on the soccer field when like we had to work out, I could find that I could just push myself, but I couldn't find the flow. I found flow in surfing because it was it was it was finding a line in the midst of chaos. Mm. You have to find that line in the midst of chaos in order to find your flow. And that's it's so true. In in martial arts well, with wrestling, whenever I'd go out there the first year, guys would toy with me. Mm. They would throw me oh, around. Yeah, totally. The guy was <laughs> laughing while he was pinning me, yeah, and then yeah. he was turning me over the half Nelson, and my my elbows on the other side, backside of my ear, yeah. on the other side, and I he's turning me over and 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 literally kneed me in the nose and just busted my nose, and it, it, it went. Then after that, I became state champion, all American national champ, and going into MMA though. They say no matter how well skilled you are um, in boxing or in jujitsu or in wrestling, I mean, I guess striking, the the first MMA fight 
it's a blur. Mm. It's a blur. That battle's a blur. You don't necessarily find the flow. Now, I, I had a lot of muscle memory to rely on in the things that I was good at, but still, I remember getting out of the fight, and it was only like a minute and a half. I'm out of breath, and I don't really remember what happened. Mm. And then as you develop and train and prepare and- um, Get that mindset. And get that mindset and get the sparring in in the room, you know, you find the flow to where you have these thoughts um, in in a fight. And you don't want to be thinking too much because if you know exactly what you're thinking, you're probably overthinking. Yep. Yep. Um, but you also don't want to be uh, in the chaos. You want to find the flow in the mm -hmm. chaos right yep. there. And if you find the chaos, you want to be in control of the chaos yep. where yep. you're like creating it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, or I mm. guess the times that you're trading back and forth, you, you're, you're battling, yeah. but then you're, you're really, it's that human chess match of it and being able to flow and think and battle all at the same time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm grateful. Well, you as a dad and you as a husband, yep. because I hope to become Amy's husband and, mm. and, and be at least a father figure, or at least a positive male role, yeah. role model yeah. in, in her daughter's lives. What are some of the greatest things you've learned there? and relationships for, for those closest to you? What's most important? Some of the most important. Yeah. I mean, um, when I got married, I thought, you know, marriage is, it's the, you know, it's the thing and it'll change your life. But having kids is what really changes your life. I mean, marriage is awesome. Um, but, um, I mean, I don't know if I have an answer other than, I mean, they become your life, you know, they become, they become everything, that you want, you want everything good in life for them that you can do as, as, as best you can. And so they can make it through life and, and not have the struggles, the battles that you did. And I think, um, you know, I was always so transfixed on, I just got a job. That's just what I'm doing. But I really, what's my purpose in life? What am I, you know, I kept looking for the thing. And my parents were like, Rick, your thing are your kids. They're your purpose. Your marriage is your purpose. Love on them, support them, and be to them what you know you wanted to be to your students when you're taught or to your teams that you lead. Um, because how you love them, how you father them, how you support them is who they'll ultimately become. And then you feel the weight of that. And you feel the weight of like, man, my, my greatest challenge in life is right before me. You know, my, my, my greatest purpose in life is to love on them and show them how to make it through life, you know, and then it's not going to be easy that it's not going to be, you know, icing on a cake all the time. There's a lot of shit out there that you got to learn to deal with. And I, you know, my dad was always very transparent with me. He struggled with his faith, but I, he didn't hide it. He would, he would, he would tell me, he would show it. He was, he was very honest with his faith. And I want that with, with my kids in my home. Cause I don't want to be, you know, um, like the stereotype guy who's whatever goes to church and that kind of stuff. And my kids have to be this way or that way. I want them to understand what faith is about and what life is about by watching me be messed up and vulnerable and strong when I can and weak when I'm supposed to be. And, you know, loving my wife when I don't want to, cause we're fighting about something stupid, you know, cause it's always stupid things you fight about. It's never something really important. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I guess a lot of answers, but I, I just learned that, that my responsibility, my core job in life is to love on them and, and, and raise them 
so that they can have a lens to look at life in a way that is healthy and helpful and strong. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing that too. And what do you think's been maybe most helpful if there's any tools, tactics, techniques, strategies mm. with uh, your wife, with uh, you know, an intimate partner that, that, that you think has really helped y'all's relationship, benefited it maybe some of the most, something that yeah. you, you guys enjoy, or maybe it's hard, and, but it's, it's really beneficial. If she was here, she'd have answers for sure. Okay. Rolling off her tongue. <laughs> um, she, you know, I've, I uh, like from stuttering, you know, it's like when you stutter, you want to run and hide, right? Because mm-hmm. you want to run away from the pain. You want to run away from the struggle. You want to make it go away by yeah. not being there. I ran away and hid in the bathroom and then thought about running out to yeah, my totally. Hyundai Sonata yeah. and driving away. Yeah. And, uh, and in marriage, when like, you know, if my wife and I, when we have our fight, I, I sometimes just want to go, this is, screw this, I'm out. This is so lame. And I don't, you know, the, the drive that I have in athletics and sports to push through things and drive through things oddly goes out the door. She, she will never go anywhere. She's just so like, no, we fight and we work this out. We, we, we get through this. You know, and so I think, you know, she has a tactic of like, just hold me to the wall and saying, no, this is, this is us. This is it. This is all we got. And we're going to make it work and we're going to make it happen. Um, and of course I like to solve things. And so I want to peel back the layers of the onion and go, well, then how come you said this? And what triggered this? And she's like, it happened. Let's just deal with it, love each other and move on. So I, I think stamina is super important. Stamina. You know, I yeah. think it's, it's real important. I think. Um, she's a great woman and she helps me see things that I often, I don't want to say can't, but won't, you know? And, um, and I, I think I, I so used to think that love was an emotion. Oh, you fall in love and candle, you know, candlelights and all this kind of stuff. And that's a part of it, but that's, I think love is discipline hmm. and a pursuit. Choice. Yeah. Pursuit. Yep. And pursuit. I mean, obviously if, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, you know, and if, if there's a chemistry that just is not going to happen on the other person's side, it is, you know, that's, that's a reality too. But for me, I can just speak for me. It's been, um, that willingness to see something through. I, I mean, I'm willing to see a lot of things through, but sometimes the most precious things, you know, it, it feels like I could walk away from, if that makes sense. You know, yeah. What what I'm kind of gathering, and and maybe this is recent, but but maybe it's in the far distant past. But I was talking with a training partner, and we were talking about how someone that we train with doesn't fight fair, mm. and mm. and we were talking, man, as a training partner, you wanna you wanna make the other person better. Because then the better they get, the better you get and you challenge each other yeah. and in there we're sparring and, and, and we're showing them where we can, we're challenging them yep. and w- where they're open and all this other stuff, but it's to help them yep. and it's not to hurt them. And, uh, and yeah, we're getting better together basically. And if you hurt your training partner, you only really hurt yourself. Yeah. And so I, I guess I was relating that to how you're saying she would hold you against the wall. No, we're doing this, mm-hmm. you know, and this yeah. is, we got to get through it. And, um, 
No, that just reminds me like, Hey, in relationships, you know, fight fair, point things out in a helpful way that you're, you know, you can challenge, but love and pursue and, and, and help that person. You be disciplined yourself and help that person be disciplined. And, um, that's really good, man. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's, if it works for others, but it's working for me right now. And, uh, I give her a lot of props. Yeah. Well, Thank you, man. And um, mm. is there anything that you've you've been hoping to share that you you haven't yet, or would you like to go into anything? Like, whenever you go into a business, like, what is what is one of the goals? Like, you are inspiring them. You're 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 diving down into like helpful ways that that they can better their lives. Um, but I'm trying to think. At the end end of your talk, you said something, and you actually mentioned it at the beginning. Um, and I'm trying to get to that. I'm trying to find it and place it, but there's something in your Ted talk you, you shared and you had shortly mentioned it here today. And I've been trying to go back to that Mm. and find it. Um, but I'm, I'm just drawing a blank. Uh, was the potential part or it it was after potential, I believe. Um, it was, it was, uh, using surfing as a tactic to unleash potential in your, Mm teams and people. So your businesses can flourish, right? Your business and organizations can flourish. Yeah. I don't know if that was, was there was an, I think it was an analogy you had or a statement you had, but yeah, this has all been really, really good. Mm. And what's your book titled again? Leadership in the art of surfing. Wow. Um, I think maybe two people have bought it, but, uh, and they were my students and I was professor. I made them, I made them buy the book. Um, but, uh, but it's from, it's from, um, the science of chaos and complexity and leadership management and trying to change the structure of how people are led mm. um, and change the mindset of executives in corporate America to, you know, like I talk a lot about in surfing, you have to, um, in the water, you have to let the water be the water, you know, and so many times in organizations, it's all about control. Mm. It's all about manipulation. It's all about, um, uh, overpowering those under you and, and assassinating people, like you said, and bodies yeah. behind you. Um, but in, you know, like the metaphor of surfing, how it unleashed the potential in me, there's there's a way to look at business and teams in a similar fashion through that lens. And chaos and complexity theory talks about these natural rules in the universe that that, that happen. Like if you look at traffic or the economy or Wall Street or, um, you know, whatever that's kind of crazy. Like if you look at traffic, like it's, it looks like it's a mess, right? It's always just, if there's a ton of traffic, there's lights popping mm-hmm. everywhere, but within the mess, there's um, a lot of uh, intricate, intricate, I can't say that word. Intricate. 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 Of uh, levels of um, micro, you know, touches and 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 comms going on, where they start to talk to each other and they start yeah. to communicate. And traffic flows, even though it looked like like if you tap your brakes in front of me and I'm five car back, I'm going to feel, you know, that you stopped mm-hmm. because the cars in front of me stopped. And so you, I'm actually listening, or to what you're doing. And in business, the, there's those ripples effects and there's, there's, there's the chaos. And instead of trying to control that all the time, 
and, and instead of trying to control your team, mm. you have to find that rhythm. You have to find that flow and tap into the source, the potential of your people so that your business can flourish. Because so many leaders think that they are the ones who are in charge and the business rises and falls on their success. It doesn't. Mm. It rises and falls on the success of you as a leader building up your team to help them see the potential to then grow the business. And in surfing, it's about letting go. It's about, but also finding that line, learning to relax and not be in charge because because business ultimately is much larger than any one person. The ocean obviously is much larger than any one wave or yeah. one surfer. And and I just, you know, I I go into a bunch of, of, of theories and examples, but the idea is to, we need to change how we look at leadership. Yeah. There has to be a more natural way to approach how people are led and our teams are led. And it's not that complicated, you know, and I talk about three points. There's like three points for a surfer that I use for three points for a leader. First, like when I get in, in a job, um, like a surfer, we watch the water, we watch the waves. So we know where to paddle to and what we're paddling into. We sit and watch from the parking lot. We park on the sand. We check out the surf. In business as a leader, you need to go in and listen to your people to figure out what you're going into, who they are, what they're about. Another part, number two, is taking the drop. When you take the drop, you got to commit. And you have to, for your team, create um, challenges that they have to fight to overcome. Because when you surf, you're, you're ultimately trying to overcome that next wave and, and, and get that next drive. But as a leader, you've got to listen to understand, but you've also got to create a challenge that drives them to excel. And then that challenge holds them accountable because like on the wave, the wave holds us accountable. I mean, we, we ride it well or we don't, and it will, it, it'll take its vengeance on us because it can. So if you don't know how to find that line in the wave, you'll, you'll, you'll get wrecked or destroyed or crash or whatever it is. So metrics are still very important for your team. It's not just a, hey, let's go and peace, love, and all that kind of stuff. There are things you have to hold them accountable for, but you hold them accountable to what you've learned about them and what the business needs. And then when you do that, like the third bit is to find the line. If you've done number one and number two right, finding the line with your team in your business will happen. And that's where they can be held accountable and that's where they can grow and that's where you can grow. And so those, those are kind of the three um, phases I look at when I'm going into a business. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing all that too. Mm. It's all good stuff, man. You're very, uh, uh, I can tell from how observant you are. Mm. Um, you're able to then translate that and and knock it out of the park whenever you share it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. And, and also going back to the traffic thing, I'm just thinking because um, I, I remember I saw a video, I think it was in Japan and they were showing the effects on traffic when one person taps, yeah. taps the brakes. And yeah. it was like, I don't know if it was a drone shot or what, but it was, we're animated, but it was showing how, how that ripple effect really goes. And I'm, I'm just thinking to also your principles. It's like, man, having those systems and processes and in, in place to where they can communicate and keep that flow of traffic going to where, because people are going to tap the brakes and accidents are going to occur and other things. But like, if you're there to help and assist and yeah. have these systems processed where they can flourish, I think that's, that's, that's what a good leader does instead of, well, like, like you think about a typical office and it's mostly a bunch of cubicles, right? I mean, yeah. historically it's cubicles. Yeah. There's no way to communicate. You're in a box, yeah. literally, 
you can't see the person here or there, but yeah. they're right next to you, but you're, you're, you're in your own world. Mm. You know, the idea is, is to take down those walls, get rid of the cubicles, literally open the communication amongst the team, solve problems together with each other and learn from each other. Yeah. Like we'd have um, every Friday, we'd have a TGIF um, meeting with my team at one of the businesses that I ran. And the purpose was to, um, you know, get together, talk about the week, talk about the business, what's going on in the company and just celebrate because it's Friday. But also the thing was um, I wanted them to share one thing they learned that brought them success and one thing they learned that caused, you know, like the business harm. And it was a point of like me saying, be vulnerable because we don't want to just talk about successes, but we want to talk about failure. So we all are, are able to learn. There's no shame here. And it really leveled up the conversation because it broke down the barriers of like, if I say I did something wrong, I'm going to get fired. Mm. And, and my thing was like, no, let's let's talk about how that rolled out and why you did that and why we did it, where we didn't support you or, you know, or help you. And that Friday wound up being where a lot of our brainstorms for how to do business better happened wow. because they were able to communicate freely and openly with vulnerabilities about business that were held to um, succeed in with metrics. So it was really, you know, it, it, it helped. And our like our meetings are like that too. Like if we had a problem with a client or a bunch of business, we'd come to my office and I'd have a whiteboard and I'd say, how are we going to fix this? And they got to participate. And it's just simple stuff like that where they, they feel empowered to be a part of the solution as opposed to I'm going to get in trouble because I'm a part of the problem. And it just shifts the approach of how they look at business and you as a leader and, and their teammates and all that kind of stuff. I love that. The invitation to be vulnerable and then also an invitation to, to know it's okay to fail yep. or fall, but, but together we're going to fall forward. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and when you fall, we're there to help, whether it's catch or help you get back up or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and to admit ours whenever we, we've fallen mm. and so that we can relate and, yeah. and let you know it's okay. And, yep. uh, and you're not alone. Yeah. We're in this together. Wow. It's good stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we're, we're, we're going to have it all in the show notes, but I'd love for you to be able to share where people can find you, follow you, um, get you to come in and speak or, yeah. or help them with their business. I would, I would love for you to share that now. Yeah, I've got um, rickhansenleadership.com is my website. You can get in touch with me there. Uh, I've got... Um, He's got that pulled up now. I do. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, oh, there it surfboards, is. I like surfboards, it. yeah. You've seen that website. Extending the metaphor. Um, yeah. I've got uh, Rick Hansen Leadership, I believe, is on Instagram um, as well as on Facebook. Um, and... Uh, yeah, you can reach reach me there. Great. Can, I'll give you my email when we leave. You can put that in there too to reach out. Yeah. Wow. Um, awesome. But yeah, but I, I, I do have, um, again, I really appreciate being on your platform here. It's really cool because yeah. I do, um, I resonate with a lot of your passions, especially the bullying bit, obviously the stuttering thing, but I have a real, it really clicked something in my mind of like, man, I, I'd really, that's bullying, um, in corporate America is just, it's, 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 it's always been in me, but I've never, I mean, you were so blunt about it and so clear. It's like, Oh, why didn't, why didn't I think of that? I mean, cause bullying's a real deal in the work world too, all the time, Yeah, you know? And, um, yeah, I just, I, you know, I, I just have a heart for people, especially kids like being a teacher and, and watching what my dad did, you know, and, and love on them. I just think there's so much potential there if you do yeah. it right. And so yeah. it's so, so important. Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, something I've never shared on the podcast, but, um, well, two things we, I, I think there's been resistance to, but people 
like forward thinking people are trying to see about, you know, whenever there's um, speakers that come in to corporate America, yeah. but actually having uh, talks about bullying in corporate America yeah. in the workplace. Yeah. So I think, I think there's guards up and walls oh, up totally. uh, for sure. But, but people are starting to acknowledge it and, and offer things to that. So I would, I would be open to getting together with you and seeing if there's ever anything uh, we can do to help or yeah, impact I would love that. in that way. Um, fight for the forgotten or bullying prevention arm is, is actually called heroes in waiting. We have mm. a new, we have a new, uh, website out heroes Oh, cool. And, um, it's been in over hundred martial arts academies, over hundred schools, um, That's but the awesome. curriculum's being updated mm. and, uh, it's available now. Uh, we've got a, a really energetic, charismatic guy from Oklahoma city named Malcolm Tubbs, uh, that, that's speaking on the curriculum videos and, and there's me too as well. Mm. But, um, it's really all about heroes in waiting. Like what's a hero? Just it's simple. It's just someone who sees a need and takes action. Yep. And when a bullying scenario happens, like standing up and saying something, um, because you didn't choose it, it chose you if you're witnessing it or if it's happening to you, but, but really you have an opportunity, um, to do nothing or to do something yep. and simply saying, a, uh, something as simple as, Hey, that's not kind can stop bullying in its tracks. Yep. Um, and with, yeah, heroes in waiting. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a way. Anyways, we could talk about that's it offline. Great, yeah, it's but a that's, great phrase. Yeah, yeah that's really, that, really cool. Cool. Very but yeah, cool. People can go check that out. Heroes org as well as, um, Rick Hansen leadership.com. Yeah. If and, I could share one more thing about yeah, my dad that absolutely. I wanted to before yes, that I forgot to touch for on. Sure. I think is relevant. Um, Papa Bear Dave Hansen. Papa right? Bear Dave. Yeah. Papa Bear Dave. Um, he went, when he was a teacher in high school back in Minnesota, um, his one of his classrooms had two of the major gang leaders in his class hmm. um, of the local gangs. And you think gangs in Minnesota, but I guess they were pretty oh, yeah. hardcore gangs. There's there. gangs in outside of Fort, like little bitty outside Fort yeah. Worth, Texas. Yeah. I mean, there's kids who sometimes rode horses to school, but there's still a gang of <laughs> That's bringing cool, knives and guns. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so he taught art and photography and both of these guys were in his room. And he went um, back in the dark room in order to develop a bunch of photos with a group of kids. And the other two gang guys were outside. And all of a sudden, he heard this just explosion. He goes outside, and these two were just going at it in the classroom, just beating the hell out of each other. And this is way back in the day before all the crap with, like, with teachers and hardcore, like, if you look at me wrong, I can sue you stuff. Right. Um, but he walked right in the middle of the fight. I mean, they are just throwing each other around, grabbed them, grabbed one by the, by the shirt, Slammed him up against the wall, slapped him in his face, dropped him down in the chair, grabbed the other one, did the same thing, grabbed them by the belt, walked them down to the office and threw them into the principal's office and says, deal with this. Mm. Well, they had had so many altercations that they went to jail. They went to juvie. Mm. Um, but what my dad did that I always find this so amazing is he went and he visited both those guys. Wow. Every week for the rest of the school year. Wow. One on one at a time. Like... Obviously, they were like in different cells, but he went in and checked on them every single week to love on them because he's like, you don't do that in my classroom, but that doesn't mean I don't love you. It doesn't mean I don't care. And they were hardcore bullies, but my dad loved on them in a hard way. But then he was very gentle because he just went up and showed up every time at jail, like to see them. And then he started to notice around campus um, when fights would sort of start to break out. Someone would give a look to someone over here, to someone over there, that the fight would just stop. Mm. And my dad would be watching, what, what, what was that about? 
And um, at the end of the school year, when he was still visiting these guys, you know, they'd say, have you noticed anything? And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, are there a lot of fights at school? He's like, no. He's like... The students are asking yeah, about that, yeah. that went to jail. Yeah. Huh. And they had spread the word, look, don't mess with Mr. Hansen or that school because he's the one guy who cares about us. And so they would have their gangbangers at the school control the whole, um, you know, like schoolyard. Yeah, basically the population, school, school because, pop. Yeah, because he loved on him. Yeah. Because he loved on him. And I just, you know, and, I, and that just, it, it's, that's my lesson in life that I want to carry with me all the time. You know, th that's so important. It's hard, but it's so important. Mm. You know, whether it's a stranger, whether it's your kids, um, but people need that, you know, they need that love. We've been given that love. We have to, we have to find a way to give it back. We yeah. have to. Yeah. That's so powerful. That's yeah. profound mm. because I think it's, you know, I think culture society today kind of pushes a, impresses upon a default button in in the human soul or spirit that, that, that at least gets calloused and, and thinks people can't change. Yeah. People won't change. Totally. But people truly need the sometimes only one person mm -hmm. that sees yep. and believes that they truly can change. And when that happens, like miracles are born they are. and, yep. and, Agreed. and people truly can, can make a pivot. I've seen it. You've mm -hmm. seen it. I mean, it's, it's evident. Yeah. Well, I'm so grateful for the people that in my life that were like your dad. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it came through coaches, um, or sometimes friends, parents, or whoever it may be, but, but people that truly like mentored me. In fact, I've, I've never shared this on the show too. So thank you for bringing this stuff sure, up with sure. your dad. Uh, there's a tattoo on my arm. It's, it says rehor. Oftentimes, uh, my sleeve, short sleeve covers up and it just says H O R. So uh -huh. everyone's like, you got Thor tattooed. On you? <laughs> um, but it's, it's rehor. And it was a guy that was like a father figure in my life. Mm. He was my first jujitsu coach and he was a two time national champion in wrestling, wow. um, from, have you heard of ne Nevada, Iowa, south of no, Minnesota? No, okay. uh -uh. It's next door to Ames. It borders Ames, okay. Iowa, where Iowa State is. Nevada. Mm -hmm. Nevada. Uh -huh. Written Nevada, but uh, that's where Brad's buried now. And he, where he grew up. And he was a state champion, national champion. Then judo was, uh, uh, was a Pan-American champion. Mm -hmm. And then in jiu-jitsu, a, a world champion, at least at the Masters, his age, age division. Anyways, he took me in and he just loved on me. He knew that I wanted to be a fighter, but I had shared with him one of the first times I ever shared with like a grown man, uh, the story of me being bullied mm. and he, and then I just had this right elbow surgery and here I am a, a national champion that was living at the Olympic training center, have an elbow surgery. And, um, Brad came to my surgery because he knew I only had a 30% chance. Mm. He cornered. Travis Luter, whenever he fought Anderson Silva, like he was an incredible wow. MMA coach wow. and Anderson Silva for the world championship. He helped Travis win uh, the ultimate fighter. And so Brad showed up at my surgery. Um, my mom sent him back to like, basically she was holding my hand whenever they were about to put me out the, the, whatever it is, the, uh, anesthesia. Yeah. They had to put like, not just two, but three times more. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, I'm a big guy, but also blonde and red and uh, a reddish hair and blue eyes. So those kind of people, like maybe us, yeah, we take totally. more anesthesia. So my mom went back and got Brad and he came back and he was joking with me as probably he saw some fear on my eyes. Cause my goal was to be an MMA fighter since I was 13 mm -hmm. years old. 
And now I might not ever be able to fight because I got hurt wrestling and only have a 30% chance. That guy checked in on me, came to my house every Mm. day when I was getting uh, rehab. And um, anyways, he just, he he changed my life. I I shared the eulogy at his funeral and um, he he told me something, but it was the three most important things are uh, faith, family, and friends. And he goes, you got it all, all backwards. You got fighting first. Mm. You might not even be able to be able to do that again. Mm. And then you have uh, family, friends, and face not even on there. He's like, you got to get that order right. Cause mm. anything, uh, you put fighting first. Yeah. And he just, he was a guy that wouldn't just show up for me. Um, but we went to training one time and there was a guy that was, jujitsu is not cheap. And mm. there was a guy that his car had broken down. He needed a new car battery. He was late to training. And Brad and I were, he was normally instructing, but he was just there to train with me that day after I got better. Yeah. And, um, he said, you know what? Hey, go on in there, go train. And he grabbed me and we went to the auto zone and, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm like, what are we doing? And he's like, we're going to change his battery. I'm like, I've never done that. And he's like, well, we'll figure it out. Yeah. And, uh, Iowa country boy knew how to do that. So we bought it and, and did it. And then I just remember at it, at the funeral, so many people coming up and saying, he did this for me. He did that for me. He mm. did this for me. He, he changed my life. Mm. And that's why before my first MMA fight, um, he passed away two weeks before from a heart oh, attack. Wow. So he's tattooed on my inner bicep. So when I get my left hand raised, oh, I get to, cool. I get to point at it. That's so cool. sometimes the rest will try to grab my right hand and I normally like switch with my opponent, yeah. you know, like, Hey, take, take my left hand That's red. so I can have it raised and point at it and just honor him. Yeah for him believing in me, yep. seeing, seeing the opportunity and me being able to be vulnerable with him mm. at an early age, um, even at the time going through addiction and all sorts of stuff, yeah. like he was still showed up just like your dad did for those kids. So yeah. wow. in a different way, but, yeah. um, still really still mattered. very powerful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank I you. Appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank yeah. you both. Yeah, absolutely. This was awesome. Amy, you have anything? Mm. No. All right. Well, that's, that's a wrap. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you, Rick. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Hey, don't forget to send your overcome stories to overcomepodcast at gmail.com. And also rate, review, subscribe, and follow Overcome with Justin Wren.